Penske's learned about electric trucks so far. Hi, I'm Jim Park. This is HDT Talks Trucking Season 4, Episode 4. To use a football analogy, they're just past the pregame planning after lots of prep work. They've just finished the first quarter with most of the game left to play, including a halftime to evaluate and make adjustments before moving ahead. That's the way Penske Truck Leasing's Paul Rosa describes the progress his company is making in a fleet trial and evaluation project for electric trucks now underway in Southern California. It's one of the largest scale evaluation projects so far, and Penske is basically writing the book on how to integrate electric trucks into traditional fleets. There's a lot to figure out, from the layout of the yard to determining the charging needs and planning the infrastructure with the utility company. Paul has an update on Penske's progress so far, That conversation begins right after this. This episode is sponsored by Heavy Duty Trucking Exchange, a unique networking event where fleet managers and suppliers connect and collaborate. HDTX 2021 takes place May 3rd, 4th, and 5th in Scottsdale, Arizona. Go to heavydutytruckingexchange.com to learn more. Today we're talking with Paul Rosa. He's the Senior Vice President of Procurement and Fleet Planning at Penske Truck Leasing. We're going to be talking about Penske's experience in Southern California with setting up some electric vehicle charging systems. Paul, thanks for joining us on the podcast today. Thank you, Jim. Glad to be here. This has been going on for about a year now, I gather, and uh, you've probably come up with some uh, good things and bad things, benefits, challenges, that sort of stuff. Can you sort of start off the conversation here with a 40,000-foot view of the project and uh, just tell me kind of where we're at today? Absolutely. And first, let me say, Jim, I'd like to thank you and your colleagues for helping educate so many followers and and listeners. Uh, You've done such a great job, everyone has, to help demystify battery electric vehicles, zero-emission vehicles. It's these types of segments that help provides uh, some context to what many questions that uh, people have out there. And they're not only asking us, but they're asking others. So uh, it's great to have this opportunity to to add to some of that. And our project started actually, I can go back many, many years because we've been talking about zero emission or near zero emission vehicles for many, many, many years. But I'd say in 2017, things really started to get clear for us that we needed to get closer to this. We needed to be out front and understand things. Um, The project has been widely successful, but that all depends on how one defines success. Uh, Our definition of success, or I'd say my definition of success, is is the number of learnings that we've had that could, and the number of possible challenges that could, could surface. I mean, that's what the project was always about, is to understand everything that could go right and everything that would go wrong and properly prepare for that. Uh, As a company of our size, supporting the customer base that we do, we need to understand all of the classes of equipment, class three all the way on up to to eight. Uh, Not only the vehicles, how they operate, the infrastructure, the support systems needed uh, to answer those questions that our customers are asking us. Um, You know, we've had a lot of learnings. Uh, we've had a lot of uh, even define them as challenges, whether it's on the vehicle design, the component selections, component options, component performance, technician training, location prep, infrastructure needs, driver behaviors. Gosh, you name it. Uh, when it's all said and done, uh, I think we'll all be better for it. At least we'll have 
an awful lot of information and knowledge to properly prepare our customers as well as our, our organization, our, our facilities for, for the many, many vehicles that, that will be coming in the years to come. Um, I'll, I'll define it this way, Jim. I'll use a sports analogy. Uh, I think we're past the pregame planning after lots of prep work. We've just finished up the first quarter with most of the game left to play, including a halftime to evaluate what's going on and making adjustments. That's where I'd say the project is right now. And and how would you, in, in sort of 25 words or less, term the project at this point? Uh, fairly successful or more challenging than you expected? expected? I'd say it's exactly what we expected, that there were going to be, uh, call it bumps in the road, uh, things you weren't aware of that you need to be prepared, you need to now properly uh, address. But as I said from the beginning, it's been widely successful because we knew what we were going to be getting into. It didn't matter what type of vehicle we're talking about, uh, low cap forward, class four, up to a medium duty class six, up to a class eight tractor. We knew there were going to be learnings because it's such a new technology, a new space. All right. Well, let's start with the infrastructure then, the uh, getting the electricity into the facility. Obviously, you had to do some work with the utility companies, probably plan for some uh, infrastructure um, installation, uh, bigger transformers, high-tension cables, lines leading into the facilities. How did that process go? Did that turn out kind of the way you'd hoped, or has that uh, been another speed bump too? I don't know if there's ever the the, the, uh, the project that has the the expected planning you put into things that aren't going to have its little twists and challenges. And it was the same thing with, with this. Uh, as, as prepared as we all thought we were, and that's everyone that was part of this. It wasn't just uh, Penske. It, there were others involved in, in that part of the project. And whether it was the delays on the equipment, whether it was the installation uh, challenges, from where we thought we were going to put it, uh, if it was how it initially performed. Uh, you got all those different things that in one way or another, you, we had to deal with some, some, some items. But all in all, I think it came together. We knew we had some, some lead time there before the vehicles came to us. So I think we were okay nevertheless. But yeah, you got a lot to figure out there, Jim. There's, there's so much to figure out in the infrastructure. I mean, we could talk the entire podcast about <laughs> sure. Care for, but there's more to it than people realize, and that's something we are encouraging our customers to seek out in whichever way they want to seek it out. But that is probably more important than they than they realize today, and we're, we're trying to get everyone aware of that. So, okay, if you're a fleet and you're planning on putting in, let's say, 10, 15 electric trucks into an operation uh, in some industrial section of the city where you obviously are. How much modification did you have to do or make, or did the utility company have to make in order to accommodate the uh, the loads that you need in that facility? Well, the locations that we put our charging at, they were newer facilities. So they were, they were you know, properly set up, if you will, for, okay. for upgrades. But that's the great question. When you start talking to customers that have been in facilities for many years, and uh, you now need to put in this type of infrastructure, it can pose some pretty dramatic challenges from an upgrade perspective. And that's, that's one of the things we're encouraging them to think about. Now, you mentioned about that customer potentially putting in 10 trucks. One of the things we guide them to is, is 10 trucks what you're going to need as you grow? Uh, most likely not. It may be it's 15. It might be it's 20. It might be that 
you need to be in the location you're in for all the right reasons. And now you grow to a point where the infrastructure you put in is, is not going to be sufficient. So what do you do? These are the type of questions that come up when we have discussions with our customers. Mm-hmm. And exactly the kind of thing I'd expect a fleet to be asking at some point. If they had, like I said, a 10 to 15 truck fleet, diesel operation, you know, natural gas, whatever fuel they were using, they would simply go down the street to the next truck stop or, or gas station and fuel up and keep going. There would be no sort of startup infrastructure cost in order to get this project off the ground. They could simply, you know, buy the truck, put the decal on, drive down the road, fuel it up and go to work. How much extra work is involved? And, and I don't know if you want to go into it, but uh, how much does it cost to put all this infrastructure in place at a terminal? That's, that's depending upon the pre-planning that goes into what do you need. And uh, I, I don't want to um, move away from the question specifically, but I do think it requires some additional uh, clarity before it can be answered. Mm-hmm. Because you have to go back to what does a customer need? How many vehicles are they going to operate? What kind of vehicles are they going to operate? Are they all going to be the same kind of vehicles? What's their duty cycle? Do they need? Do, do they require fast charging, or can they charge over a seven to ten hour? I mean, it comes down to what, what is the requirement, or what are the needs of the customer, and then you get into what has to be done, and then you get into what is the cost. So it can range. Um, it just depends. It just depends. It could be, you know, tens of thousands of dollars to hundreds of thousands of dollars. It just depends, and then you get into what kind of charging are you going to put in? Is it going to be, uh, like I said, the high speed, or is it going to be lower speed, level one, level two, where you want quantity versus where you're giving up, uh, you're getting more time or you're going to give up time because of uh, it being slower versus faster charging. So Jim, so many questions to dive Mm -hmm. into there before you can give a set answer as to what that cost would be at the range is so dramatic. So in the process of planning uh, a facility, uh, we're hearing about a lot of these turnkey operations that are setting up. And in fact, I think, you know, long-term for Penske, that'll be one of your service offerings to the customers. But at the end of the day, the customer can ex- uh, expect to pay for a great deal of that installation, the chargers, the extra cabling or wiring that might be needed. That's, that's going to be a customer cost at some point down the line, isn't it? Absolutely. I mean, they're going to need the charging on their facility for sure yeah. uh, for their own operation. And that's going to be a cost they're going to have to be thinking about sooner or later. Now, I know there are grants available today, which is why we are strongly encouraging our customers to do this early planning and to get get ahead of this uh, because it's going to be to their advantage. Now, does that mean that down the road, the equipment and the cost is maybe going to come in line a little bit more because uh, there's going to be more volume out there? I don't think so. I think the cost to put the equipment in is going to be the same labor cost. Maybe the the hardware might be a little bit less expensive as more and more players get into the space and start, you know, there's more volume there. But they need to jump in that game right now, take advantage of grant money that's available today, because chances are that the grant money may be diminished or not even available in future years when this becomes more more, more the norm mm-hmm. than, than today. It's, it's kind of a special request. Well, let's talk about the hardware then. It's not something you buy off of Amazon. How many people are in that game right now? And are there differences really from a customer's point of view when you're dealing with uh, supplier A or supplier B? Yeah, the interest has grown. As the interest has grown, I should say, so have the players that have jumped in the space for the hardware. Um, and, and they're responding. I mean, they, they know the opportunity is there, but they know that it's what is needed. So more and more companies are jumping in this space. Uh, there's, you know, there's the big players. 
but right now they're still limited in what they're producing because uh, there's, there's, there's not as many buyers of it yet. They're doing it more as the orders come in. Uh, but I think they will, they will quickly ramp up as the demand continues to ramp up. It'll kind of happen in parallel. There's, there's a lot to figure out there. I mean, the good news is, is there's been charging around for quite a long time when you get into electric buses and, and things like that. So mm-hmm. now it's adapting that hardware to a medium-duty truck and a heavy-duty truck because it is a little bit different. And the demands and the needs are different depending upon what type of charging you need. So the, the hardware is going to have its own uh, derivatives, if you will. And uh, there's different companies depending upon which size of vehicle you're charging and how fast you want to charge it. So if you're getting into level one, level two, or the DC, uh, it just depends. So that space is becoming clear, Jim. There's, there's many in there now, but many coming. And I think we'll, we'll start to see uh, more players jumping into that space. You might even see some consolidations or some, some partnerships in that space as, as people realize that, hey, we're really best fit for light duty and somebody else is best fit for heavy duty. So why don't they kind of merge their, their, their efforts? Uh, so I, 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 that's still not complete. It's still developing. Okay. So when we talk about hardware generically, can you plan at the early stages uh, for those eventual upgrades or can you plan to you know, transition from say uh, AC charging to DC charging. Uh, does that all have to be considered up front, or can you make those changes midway through, or once you're you know established and rolling for a few years, can you then decide? Oh, we need something different, or something bigger, or faster, or better. Well, from what we understand, it's not a simple solution. Uh, obviously, going from AC to DC is easier than going. You know, you already have the DC, so what does it matter? Yeah. Uh, but it's. It just comes down to if it's an early or a new construction, you might be able to plan for that. So you have the adaptability to grow your fleet and go with faster charging or if your your uh, your situation changes. And, and we've had that happen with some customers, whereas they've done some of their evaluation. They only had one shift. They only had vehicles going out through kind of normal business hours. And all of a sudden their operation uh, adjusted and some of their fleet was going on a second shift. And that would mean you can't have 10 hours of charging. You're going to need something to happen much faster. So they have to think through that. And that's, those are some of the challenges that your location was not designed for that. Yeah. The upgrade is probably too cost prohibitive to do that. Uh, so now you got to really think through what's your next step there. You're going to move your whole operation or you're going to go through that, that sunken cost potentially from the first, uh, for the first charging uh, solution you put in. It's a great question. I think it's going to come up more and more. But again, as I mentioned earlier, it's one of the conversations that we're having with customers and, and encouraging them to have that conversation with the utility company, because depending upon what that plan looks like, whatever that vehicle solution looks like, they have they should customize and have a great recommendation. Your utility company should for what is the right solution to put in. Do you think those kinds of constraints are kind of limit certain fleets from getting into the electric game if they... Um, are one of those operations that tends to be a bit more nimble or flexible, uh, trying to respond to their customers' needs. If they find themselves locked into a, uh, an infrastructure contract that doesn't allow them to change readily, uh, would they be inclined, do you think, to just turn their back on this and stick with diesel? There's a whole whole sort of uh, or list of reasons as to why customers have kind of stayed on the sideline with this. As we we have a large customer base, very diverse customer base. We have some that are early adopters and we have some that are more conservative and just wait to see how technologies play out. It doesn't matter if we're talking about uh, transmissions, engines, or, or 
collision mitigation systems, you name it. And this is no different. They, they evaluate and say, is this the right time for me? Mm-hmm. And there could be any one of a number of reasons where it says, you know what, this is not the right time for me. So certainly as their business could be in a little bit of transition or they don't have those answers for the questions that are asked of them. And are you going to have route changes? Are you going to have to go out farther? Well, now your range demand is greater. Well, why buy a vehicle? that's only going to give you a range of X knowing that down the road, very soon down the road, you could need a longer distance to travel and thus the vehicle isn't going to do it for you. So why even talk about the vehicle versus the charging? And it's kind of a similar conversation with the charging. So yeah, uh, these are, there's a lot that could cause somebody to say, it's probably making sense for me to sit on the sideline versus jumping in the game right now. Let's talk a little bit about the, uh, the terminal itself. I've, I've read some stories in the past about some of the challenges of, of doing your terminal layouts. Uh, where are you going to put the chargers? Where are you going to put the, uh, you know, the parking areas for the trucks while they're charging to keep them out of the way of the traffic that's moving through the yard? What have you learned so far about how to, uh, how to set the yard up to keep those trucks out of the way, uh, running cables to charging ports and that sort of thing? What we've learned is it's not easy. What we've learned <laughs> is it's, it's the, not the same solution at any of the, any one location because the locations are set up differently, whether it's the, the footprint that they have in the town or the city that they're in. Like you mentioned, if it's the, the flow of traffic that's there today, I mean, you can't have it be congested now where you can't maneuver. You know, many of our locations have hundreds of vehicles. And when you think about the activity that we have of the ins and the outs, you really got to be careful as to where you're putting these. You even have to have, uh, have to be mind, mindful of how are you lining up the vehicles, you know, putting them side by side by side uh, in parallel versus angling them a little bit can be, uh, uh, you know, something that we've learned. Well, it is something that we've learned. Um, Going with a standard cabling length doesn't necessarily work if you're going to angle them because now if you're angling them, the, the one that the charging station comes with may not be long enough. So <laughs> there's all kinds of different scenarios there that you have to be thinking about. And not, no one size is going to fit all from the, the cable, the, the, uh, where you're putting it. And then I need to get into how many do you need? How many stations do you need for the size of location? And that gets to be a whole nother challenge. I mean, That's what a lot of people aren't really connecting to right now. If you think about a customer who may have 50 vehicles and today they're all parked in a certain place, you can't even have charging there. So now you got to reset the yard. Um, To your point, what we were talking about earlier, if you have a place where you're going to put 10 charging stations for 10 of your 50 trucks and you quickly want to move to the other 40 or another 10, what do you do? Do you have to have a whole other charging area, another part of 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 the yard? Can you expand where you're at? Is your yard even capable of charging 50? I mean, there's there's just it's very interesting where what's going on here, and there's a lot of lot of questions that are not answered yet that customers need to figure out so they can be prepared for what their fleet looks like in the future. Well, I know we're we're drilling down a little bit into the weeds here, but this is one of those questions that keeps coming up, and I keep scratching my head. Uh, we don't have a universal charging plug yet, uh, which I think is something the industry is working on. But nor have we decided, really, I don't think, where to put the charging plugs on the vehicles. And I know there's some differences, some at the front, some at the back, some behind the cab. Uh, how much of a difference does that make to the way you set up your terminal? Uh, or can you get the various OEMs to come to the table and say, I want all my charging plugs, you know, at the left front corner uh, or around the back of the cab? Just, what determines where the charging ports go on the trucks? 
It's a, that's, that's a great question, Jim. And as we've been working with, if you take the, the, the start or the modifier companies, I'll call them the ones that take an existing vehicle and modify it from whatever it is, gas or diesel to an electric solution. You know, they don't necessarily have a choice. Um, the, the, the chassis is what the chassis is. And you, know, you want to start running cables in different places that they shouldn't go and maybe isn't the best solution there. But the, the original OEMs or the startup OEMs that are in there, um, you know, they now have the ability to design from the ground up. And we've been working with whether it's a class four or class six or class eight uh, provider. Uh, that's what we've been working with them on. That's where part of the co-creation is co-creation project is with Daimler, but we have many other projects with several of the other, several other players. And we get into this conversation. Uh, it, it also gets into what I was saying earlier about where you're charging on your yard, how you're situating the vehicles, because we've had a situation where we had to park the vehicle a certain way in order for the charging port to work uh, or get a long, longer cable, like we said. So most just think, okay, you put it in the same place where you fill your, 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 your fuel. Uh, gas or diesel right there on the side of the driver's side. I mean, that's kind of natural. It's kind of normal. And uh, you have to think outside the box. It's not the ideal place for it to be. And I think people are going to start to get into, well, what makes the most sense? You still got to get into the safety of the vehicle. And is it in the front? Is it on the side? Is it on the passenger side? Uh, I think that's still yet to be figured out. If you if you were to think of it this way, how many, how, if you if you know, how many companies right now have actual production units on the road? There really are no, there aren't many. And that's because a lot of these things are being figured out. And when they continue to put more customers uh, in their vehicles and they get that good feedback, that's where they're starting to make the right decisions or better decisions as to what makes sense for the design. But that's still up in the air. That's not an insurmountable problem. I guess you, you can work around that at some point. Will you be, you'll be able to work around that, do you think? Yeah, that's a neat, that, to your point, that's an easier one to figure out. Okay. Yeah. We're speaking with Paul Rosa, the Senior Vice President of Fleet Procurement and Planning at Penske Truck Leasing. Coming up in the second half of the podcast, Paul will cover some of the operational factors they're seeing in the field test, such as whether initial range estimates prove to be realistic and how much influence drivers have on battery performance. We'll be back with more from Paul Rosa right after this. HTT Talks Trucking is brought to you by Heavy Duty Trucking Exchange, a relationship-building event hosted by Heavy Duty Trucking Magazine. HTTX is loaded with topical discussions and learning opportunities with some of the most innovative people in the business. HTTX 2021 takes place May 3rd, 4th, and 5th in Scottsdale, Arizona. Managers of Class 7 and 8 fleets apply now to be our guest at HTTX 2021. To learn more and to apply, go to heavydutytruckingexchange.com. Let's talk about some of the operational issues that you've... uh, not issues. That sounds like a problem. Uh, you've had trucks in field tests now running actual customer loads, revenue loads. Uh, how has everything panned out so far? Have the range estimates that you were providing customers turned out to be accurate? Have they been giving you accurate route planning so that you can provide the range you need? How is the, the operational side of this going? I think everyone starts with a conservative number. So they, you know, they, they don't have a view that their technology has not succeeded. So everyone came into it with a more conservative number. We respected that. I mean, we didn't know, they didn't know what they did, that it was going to do 
and you got all different types of applications it was going to they were going to go in again doesn't matter if it's a class four six seven eight so they were they were conservative right out of the gate and didn't matter across all of the classes the battery capacity that we were informed and then we tested um they were pretty accurate they were within you know 10 15 percent of what they what they told us there were no surprises uh because there's, they, we all recognize there's so many variables that come into play as to how will that range play out? What will the battery life be like? And some performed a little bit better than others, and they made the corresponding adjustments and corrections. Even to that matter, Jim, some people have already made changes in their battery, their battery solution. Some people have changed the, uh, the, uh, the chemistry setup that the batteries uh, have in it to, to give it a little bit more range and so on. So that's where I, I believe we're not even at the point of where batteries will be in the next year, maybe even six months, and then two years after that, it's gonna to continue to improve, which is exciting. But uh, we've had we've had our, uh, our learnings on that side as well as it relates to range. There's a lot of things that affect it. Uh, the road itself can affect it. The, if it's, uh, the terrain can affect it, the topography can affect it. Uh, auxiliary component draw, uh, uh, demand can, can affect it. Driver behavior can affect it. So. When they say X number for a range, let's just use a number, 100 miles, just to say it. Mm-hmm. Uh, somebody can get 120 and somebody can get 80. And it depends on the route. It depends on the, the weight of the vehicle. depends on how the driver is using the vehicle. It depends on how many hills it's going up versus going down. Um, that's, that's a lot of the good learning that we've, we've taken already from, from the trucks that we're operating. Now, if you were to take this particular test that you're doing uh, from Southern California and move it up to Detroit or Minneapolis or New York City, how much of a factor do you think the weather would be, the colder temperatures in the winter? What kind of compensation would you have to make for that? It's one of the unknowns right now. It's definitely one of those where when I said we were in the first period or the first quarter, uh, we've got to get to the second half where we're in colder climate. Uh, we've got to start going through all of these same tests that we're doing. And what do I mean by test? I mean, we have different routes, different payloads, different speeds we're asking people to drive, uh, the use of, of air conditioning versus heaters versus just to be sure we're really testing these vehicles out to understand what affects range and battery um, kilowatt consumption. And when, when you put it in a colder climate, everyone accepts it's going to perform less than if it's in a warmer climate. Now. To what degree, we, we don't know, but that's one that we've got to figure out fairly quickly to that point. Let's say you have a customer now that has 10 vehicles, seven of which are in Southern California or warmer climates, and three are in colder climates, and they want to do 10 with us. And from what we've understood of the vehicle, it's going to perform okay. Now you put it in the cold climate, and all of a sudden you have range issues. So again, it's, it's an unknown right now. The speculation is that it's going to have some effect and we've done our hypotheticals but we've got to go put it in real real world applications and uh and really test it and how much of of an impact can the driver make i i know from my own experience in driving these that if you take advantage of the regenerative braking you can really extend your range considerably but in in what you've done so far how much driver training have you had to do and and get you know the folks who are driving these things to understand how much of a role they play in extending range yeah, good question. So we start with uh, a safety orientation. That's first and foremost. Then we get into a drive, you know, the drivability of the vehicle. What is the 
what are the things they should be aware of as it relates to range? Now, if range is not an issue for the driver's application, it really doesn't matter to them. Uh, and many of the applications, range is not an issue because of where they're driving. Final mile, number of miles in a day doesn't come anywhere near the range. But there are many of the customers that we have driving vehicles where range is absolutely a concern. And depending upon some of the other variables we mentioned, they could be pushing up against not getting back home. Um, and that's where the driver behavior comes in. So there's, a, there's an orientation about how you can, you can get greater range. That means don't be, uh, don't be driving fast right out of the gate. You know, the old fast starts and it kind of emulates if you want to have better fuel consumption uh, when you're driving a gas or a diesel. Don't go fast. Don't start fast. Uh, don't stop fast. So heavy braking, believe it or not, while it does give you some of that regenerative braking, as you mentioned, it doesn't give you as much as you could get if you if you stop in a slower way. Interesting. So okay. these are the learnings that we have not only understood during our own testing with the, the OEM that we're OEMs that we're working with, but that we've shared with every one of the drivers that are in the vehicles. And what's interesting is, is we first tell them go out and drive it the way you normally drive it. So do that for a few days after you get it. Sometimes we do ride-alongs with them first couple of, of days, and then after uh, they drive it the way they normally do, we start reinforcing, try this, try this, try this, try this, and they're like, wow. And with, uh, with one customer uh, where there are different drivers that get in the vehicle on different days, it becomes a little bit of a competition. Who can get more range when they drive the vehicle? Same route, it's just it's a different driver driving it on a different day, mm -hmm. and uh, they have a little bit of competition to see who can who can get the you know the more um, kilowatts left when they come back in the battery, so a higher state of charge when they come back, and they have own, their own little competition. So it becomes fun in one way as well as uh, a learning in another way, but the driver has a big impact on it just as it does in a diesel vehicle. Yeah, that gamification works really well with fuel economy on you know regularly internal combustion engine vehicles too. Yeah, great way to put it, gamification. That's kind yeah. of what we've seen a lot of that lately when it comes to getting the desired outcome of something that you want. That, that works. It does work. Were there any surprises in the evaluations so far or the field tests where, let's say, uh, weather, you know, uh, hot temperatures, rain, uh, really, really windy days? Was there anything else in there that you sort of came up that you weren't anticipating or sort of surprised you when it came up? There really weren't surprises on the vehicle side. We knew there were going to be range challenges. We knew there were going to be different variables that impacted it. We just didn't know to what degree. So from the vehicle side, there weren't many surprises, with the exception of I'd be surprised if we put the vehicle in a cold climate and we emulate the same, same I guess, test, if you will, payload, driver behavior, range expected when it's 20 degrees in, in Detroit, like you said, and we get the same the same state of charge return, uh, that would be a surprise to me. Mm -hmm. But as it relates to the vehicles that we're operating today, there haven't been many char many surprises on the vehicle side of things. On the charging side of things, yeah, there have been some surprises there. I didn't think that it would be as challenging to secure grants. I mean, there's a lot of, a lot of I's that's got to be dotted and T's have got to be crossed and, and parameters you got to follow. And and that makes it for a little bit of a of a 
you got to be aware of what you got to do or you're going to be caught in that whole thing. So, you know, the grant wasn't a surprise as much as it was, wow, there's a lot to do here. Um, here's a surprise, though, from the public perception. I know that was a reference uh, in one of the questions, but it's been interesting when our vehicles that customers are operating are, are in certain markets and somebody asks, hey, what is that? Because they are marked as an electric vehicle. Uh, you get the inquiry, is that really an electric vehicle? And uh, the answer is yeah. So people get pretty excited about it to the point where we had a we had a somebody on a sidewalk when the vehicle was parked at a stoplight that wanted to get a picture in front of it because they, they said no one's going to believe that this is an electric tractor. So, <laughs> kind of, so the, the the reception from some of the people out there is pretty is pretty good. I guess uh, one of the other surprises, uh, if I think back to what happened early on, is this goes back a ways from one of the first steps, uh, amount of feedback we got is how quiet they are, and that is going to be a benefit in many cases as far as, you know, trucks driving in neighborhoods or at nighttime, or early in the morning. But it's also been pointed out as a concern for some people about they don't know the big truck is pulling up behind them or beside them mm -hmm. uh, or so on in a, in, a, in a distribution center or in a parking lot or whatever. So uh, that was a little bit of surprise of how quiet it is. And as I've driven every one of these vehicles, I guess I could go back to the equipment and say or the vehicles themselves and say I was a little bit surprised as to is how well they drive. I mean, they are really nice to drive. There's, there's, a, I guess, a better sense of stability. Uh, it, it just seems more stable on the ground. It doesn't rock as much. It's quieter. You don't have the fumes at times that can permeate into the cab. Uh, so there's, it was a, a, a better than expected experience of driving the vehicle. Uh, forget about the speed and the power and all that. Uh, I'm talking about the other intangibles that, that I think would would a driver would benefit from, from experiencing. That's been my experience so far. I've driven probably half a dozen of them now and come away from each one going, wow, you know, <laughs> if that's what the electric future holds on, I'm in, you know, both feet, this is great. Uh, the, the other comment that we've heard from drivers is, is please don't make me turn this in. <laughs> that's a good thing. Absolutely. Okay. We've got a couple minutes left, Paul. I'm going to turn this over to you. The floor is all yours. So just want to, share any of your final thoughts or observations on this with the uh, listeners. That'd be just great. Well, what I would say is for those of you that are thinking about electric vehicles, uh, best advice I can give to you on one of the biggest learnings that we have is have a plan, plan ahead, know your needs, but plan for the future, plan for your future growth. That is, and get ahead of the infrastructure, the infrastructure, not necessarily that they're challenges, but it takes a lot of time to think through what you need. Uh, your size of your fleet today may not be the size of your fleet tomorrow. The type of equipment that you're operating today may not be the type of equipment you're operating tomorrow. Do you want fast charging? Do you want slow charging? Because your, your operation allows for that. Um, what type of, when do you want to charge? So you talk about the cost of electricity. We haven't even talked about that, which is a, is a huge, huge issue as well, as far as when you charge your vehicles. Uh, what is the design of your property if you're doing it from scratch? So we touched on that a little bit. Uh, you know, there are uh, consultants that are that are available out there. Uh, just be, you know, use your utility company as your first, uh, I guess, your first go-to. They know best the market you're in. They know your operation. They know what your consumption is today. So I think you can gain a lot by working with your local utility first, and then maybe seeing what re recommendation is made by them and, and going to a consultant then and verifying what their expertise is in this space. 
But I keep telling uh, customers, don't worry about the vehicles. The vehicles are coming. If you wait for a vehicle and then work on your infrastructure, you're going to be six months to a year behind. If you work on the infrastructure today and get that behind you, the trucks are coming, you'll be ready to go. And I think uh, when, you, when you get into the whole the permitting process and things of that nature, uh, there's just so much to do on the infrastructure side for yourself. And if you wait, what we tell people is as more, more of the OEMs or more of the startups and the other players, the component providers, get ready with this technology and the vehicles are starting to come 2022, 2023 and so on. As everyone starts to jump in this space, everyone's going to need charging. States are going to need it for theirs, for their fleet. Municipalities are going to need it for their fleet, as well as all U.S. customers are going to need it for your fleet. Don't wait to that point or you now could be sitting here paying an awful lot of money for a vehicle that you can't charge versus getting ahead of that infrastructure and being ready for the vehicle when you want it. So uh, that that's what I would I would leave you with there, Jim. Well, that's certainly the, uh, the million-dollar <laughs> bit of advice from this podcast, uh, the takeaway, the big takeaway anyway. Uh, yeah, set up your charging before you get the fleet on the road. Otherwise, you ain't going anywhere. Well, Paul, great. Uh, I appreciate your thoughts on that and your contribution to this. I'm, I'm sure it's going to make a big difference in a lot of people's outlook on uh, electric trucks. So uh, thanks a lot for sharing that with us. Happy to do it. I'm sure what we've shared has been mentioned in other places before. Maybe this is just a, uh, a validation of what they've heard. That they should you know, be thinking about these things as they're getting ready for zero emission vehicles. So thanks again, Jim. Paul Rosa is the Senior Vice President of Procurement and Fleet Planning at Penske Truck Leasing. Paul, thanks for your time today. Appreciate it. HDT Talks Trucking is sponsored by Heavy Duty Trucking Exchange. HDTX 2021 takes place May 3rd, 4th, and 5th in Scottsdale, Arizona. Go to heavydutytruckingexchange.com to view the agenda and apply to be our guest at HDTX 2021. The big takeaways from this discussion have to be Plan for your future needs right from the start and get your infrastructure in place before you take delivery of your first electric trucks. There's a lot to be learned about building an electric fleet and this is just the beginning. In this season's Episode 5, HDT Editor-in-Chief Deb Lockridge and I dig a little deeper into electric trucks as well as hydrogen fuel cells and renewable natural gas. We'll be discussing what we learned while writing the cover story on alternative fuels for the October 2020 issue of Heavy Duty Trucking. If you're new to the podcast, make sure you subscribe so you won't miss an episode, and please share it with your friends on social media. HDT Talks Trucking is produced by Deb Lockridge, recording and audio production by Jim Park. Heavy Duty Trucking Magazine is published by Bobbitt Business Media. I'm Jim Park. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.